I want to encourage you one last time, hopefully not in your life, but for this series, to turn to the letter of Paul to the Romans. We find ourselves at the end of this great letter, some say the greatest letter ever written. Our text this morning will be Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Let's hear the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he completes his letter to the Roman believers. This is what the Word of God says. Paul writes, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our eyes and our ears this morning that we would be able to benefit and be changed by these inspired words. Father, would you remind us this morning of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the end to which all things exist, namely your glory. Father, would you teach us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. J. Gresham Macon, he was a Presbyterian in the early 1900s here in America and taught at Princeton and then later founded Westminster Theological Seminary. Once writing on the doctrine of justification by faith, he said this. He said, the man who has been justified by God, the man who has accepted as a free gift this condition of rightness with God, is not a man who hopes that possibly with due effort, if he does not fail, he may win through to become a child of God. But he is a man who has already become a child of God. If our being children of God depended in the slightest measure upon ourselves, we could never be sure that we had attained the highest estate. But it does not depend upon ourselves. It depends only upon God. It is not a reward that we have earned, but a gift that we have received. I think in some ways that is a a great summary of the book of Romans. We could come to the end of this great letter and, and conclude as Paul has written at great length and at great detail about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is not some reward that we have earned. It is rather a gift that we have received. And that is what Paul has labored to unfold for us for some 16 chapters now. This labor of defining and describing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, what it is, how God has chosen to save those who are lost in their sin, and what it does, how it transforms us and makes us a new creation and calls us now to live out in this new community of faith. We said all along that the book of Romans is is really twofold. It talks about how we've been saved by grace and how we are sustained and transformed by grace. 
Friends, the gospel is not a reward that we have earned. It is a gift we have received. And so as we think about that, as we think about this gift of grace, this glorious work of salvation that God through Jesus Christ has accomplished and secured for those who would believe, we've seen how it transforms us, gives us new affections, new desires, and new delights. Assuming we have received this gift of grace, how ought we then continue to live in it? That's where Paul really ends this letter, with these final words of doxology, of a word of praise to God, giving God the credit and the glory for all that he has done through Jesus Christ. How do we then continue to walk in this gospel? Paul leaves us with that this morning. In fact, Paul ends the letter very much like he started it. We see a lot of the similar themes in chapter 1 now repeated here at the end. All rooted in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's final words, as, as he speaks this final doxology, his final words pointing to this glorious gift. Not that we have earned, but that we have received. This gift of grace. What I want us to see this morning are four important truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ as we conclude our time in Romans this morning. We're going to see these together and we'll walk through these right here in the text this morning. Four highlights, four important observations about the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see in the text and really we could see all the way through the book of Romans. Let's see these together this morning. Number one, what do we see? We see first and foremost the power of of God. As we've walked through the book of Romans, that's what's been on display is the powerful work of God to save sinners. We, we saw that early on in Romans, didn't we? We saw how in chapters 1, 2, and 3, man is destitute. Man is utterly lost, bound up in sin, deserving of full judgment. And yet God in his miraculous saving grace pursues sinners and saves them. We see the power of God on display not only to save, but to keep and to strengthen and to sustain as we've walked through this letter. Here in Paul's final remarks, he is encouraging the Christians there in Rome to stay faithful. Last week, we saw how, how Paul's plea to them in verses 17 through 19, especially verse 20, his plea to them to, to remain faithful included a plea to stay vigilant, to stay alert, to stay awake, to realize that there are false doctrines, there are false gospels, there are false teachers out there, and to be aware of that and to stay vigilant to the end, but also to remain confident because as we saw last week in verse 20, Paul writes that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And now in verse 25, he continues to build in this great doxology, displaying the power of God. Not only could the Christians in Rome and we, by extension, be confident that God would soon crush Satan under their feet, but believers can also remain confident that God will see them through to the end. See that in verse 25, now to him, not to you, now to him who is able to strengthen you, to establish you. 
The same God that would destroy and crush Satan is the same God that will strengthen and establish you to the end. Friends, it's important that we see here in this verse that Paul is not exhorting believers to be strong. He's not saying, okay, Christians, now that you've been saved by faith, pull yourself together, strengthen yourself, be firm and bold in the faith and persevere in your own strength. He's not saying that. He's saying, now to him who is able to strengthen you to establish you. Friends, it's important that we see that that Paul is affirming the power of God to sustain and strengthen the believer. The same power that saves us is the same power that keeps, equips, and strengthens us to the end. Now to him who is able, not to you who are able, to him who is able. There's only one able there's only one able that can, that can strengthen us and equip us and establish us. Friends, this is a, just a little quick reminder, but powerful reminder, that our salvation from beginning to end is the work of an all-powerful God. This is not the only place we see it. Paul latches on to this theme throughout all of his writings. He said to the church at Philippi in chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians, that he who began a good work in you is the same one that will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. To the Ephesians in chapter 3, Paul said, Now to him, again, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask, according to the power at work within us. It's the power of God. To the Thessalonians in chapter 5, at the end of that letter, in verses 23 and 24, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In Jude Jude wrote in verse 1 and verse 24, he says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And then at the end of that letter, it's one chapter, brief letter at the end of the New Testament, he says, Now to him, again, this is Jude, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Do you see the theme Time after time after time again, it is unto him be glory. Now to him who is able. Friends, when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you think God has saved me by grace, it is not your effort that will keep you going. It is the power of God that will keep you and that will establish you and that will strengthen you. Friends, were it not for a powerful work of God's preserving grace, there would be no reason for any of us in this room this morning to have any ounce of confidence. But as I talk to people, as I hear conversations, there has been and there continues to be this false notion that while God is the one who saves us, somehow it's left up to us whether or not we finish the race. You've heard me say this before, that 
horrible saying I saw in my hometown one time that Jesus did all he could do, the rest is up to you. That's borderline heresy. Jesus did all he can do, and he will continue to keep you. That's better. He did everything. He did all the heavy lifting to save you, and the same one that did all the heavy lifting to save you is the same one who will strengthen and equip and establish you to the end. There's this idea that, that God kind of opens the door and gets us in, and then we just, we just have to pull ourselves together and finish. What happens there is, is we have too high of a view of man and too low of a view of God as if there is something inherently good in us that enables us to keep ourselves in God's grip. Listen, this is not how the gospel works. God does not save us with an open hand as if at any point we can kind of jump out. God saves us with a firm grip so that no one can snatch you out of his hand. Not even you. Friends, that is confidence. Think about how miserable life would be if your salvation were ultimately dependent upon you. I don't want that gospel. I don't want a gospel that says, God did this and now the rest is up to you. No thank you. That would be a miserable way to live. At what point would you kind of be off the off the train at what 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 sin kind of kicks you off praise God that our confidence is not in ourselves that our confidence is in him who is able to strengthen us that is where our confidence rests friends this morning if, if you are seeking to be confident in the gospel and somehow you're looking internally for that confidence to to see how kind of look back this week and see kind of how you fared you know, kind of grade card yourself on, on your performance this week and how much time in the Word and how much time in prayer and, oh, I'm at church, that's a big star for me today. If you're, if you're looking, if you're grading yourself on that, it's a miserable way to live. If you're seeking any ounce of confidence in you, then the exhortation from verse 25 today would, would be quit looking to you. Now to him who is able. Now to him who is able to keep you, to strengthen you, to establish you. Notice, by the way, how God does this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The means by which God strengthens his people is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, the gospel is not this platform from which we launch into the pool of Christianity. It is the way that you are saved, but it is also the means by which God uses to strengthen. You, need the, you hear me say this regularly. You need the gospel just as much today as you've ever needed it. Not because we're getting saved over and over again. You're saved once, justified once, declared righteous once. 
But friend, you need the gospel every day of your life to remind you that your confidence is not in you. It is in Jesus Christ who saves you. It is the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. It's his righteousness and his righteousness alone that is credited to our account so that we can stand blameless. Friend, do you realize that as a Christian this morning, before a holy and righteous God, you are blameless. Your sin has been forgiven. And God sees you no longer as a condemned, dirty, guilty sinner, but he sees you as clothed in the beautiful righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he continues to strengthen us day by day by day through that same good news. The reason we sing so much about Jesus, his life, his death and resurrection, the reason that we pray so much in that light, the reason we continue to point week after week is because it is the means by which God uses to equip and establish and strengthen his people. You, begin, you, you never graduate from the gospel. If you, if you begin moving away from the gospel, you, you've, you've lost, it's like the umbilical cord has been detached. This is the means through which God nourishes and strengthens you in the faith. And he says also in the preaching of Jesus Christ. Not through programs or entertaining worship services or productions. He keeps us through the gospel of Jesus and the preaching of Jesus. This is important because I think there are so many in our culture that don't really believe this. Many Christians that don't believe this. Many churches that don't believe this. Because the way that they go about their ministry and about their lives seems to be that they're relying upon something completely different than the gospel and of Jesus Christ and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Because the reason we place such a premium on preaching here at Redeeming Grace is because we believe that it is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sinners will be saved and that Christians will be strengthened. I am willing for everything else in the life of this church to fail except the preaching of God's word and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the means that God uses to establish and strengthen his people. This is what we see right here in the text. This is the means that God uses to strengthen and to him who is able to do this. So we see the power of God. This is, this is right here in verse 25. We've seen it all the way through Romans. We see that it is the power of God that's at work. But number two, we also see the plan of God. Four Ps this morning, by the way. See the plan of God. And don't be going ahead trying to guess what are P number four and P number three Verse 25, Paul goes on to explain that this gospel was once hidden, but now been revealed. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, he says. But now, has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. He says it was kept secret, but now disclosed. Throughout this letter, Paul has unpacked in, in great detail, probably no other place in Paul's writings in, in the New Testament, you'll see in such great detail the plan of redemption 
described. And Paul has unpacked this in great detail to, to describe the plan of God to bring about redemption to a world that's been broken and taken captive, taken hostage by sin. And the fact that this plan was hidden or kept secret does not mean that it had been totally out of sight all this time. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we, we see what we could call gospel glimpses. Promises that are made. Shadows that are cast. Leaving us looking for something greater. You don't get to the end of the Old Testament and say, fulfilled. You get to the end of the Old Testament longing for something more. And that is that mystery that, that, that was temporarily hidden, kept secret, that, that now in the person and work of Jesus Christ is fully known. It would not be until Jesus came that we would have a complete understanding of God's work of redemption. So in that way it was hidden and kept secret, but now in Christ we know in full so we can go back to passages like Isaiah 53 and Jeremiah 31 and Psalm chapter 2 and a host of other passages and say, that's what it means. Now that I see it in light of Jesus Christ, okay, that's what he was talking about. In Galatians, Paul put it this way, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Paul is living in that day when the fullness of time had come and that which had been temporarily hidden and kept secret was now fully exposed, disclosed, he says, fully revealed. See, God's plan was established in eternity. God's not just making this up as he goes. God's plan was established all the way in eternity past and progressively revealed throughout history so that when the time was right in the, mystery, in, in, the, in the mind of God, mysterious as that is to us, the full truth would be disclosed. And that would be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But to who would that be disclosed? Well, he says right here, doesn't he? But now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations. You see, the mystery that included God's plan, was to res that, that was part of God's plan, was to rescue both Jew and Gentile. We, we see that even in the Old Testament. Even though we may not have fully understood it, have we been in those days, all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, where God tells the serpent that his head would be crushed, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God says to Abraham, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the nations, all the peoples will be blessed. Romans chapter 4 unpacks in chapter 5 here. You go back and see how, how Paul now describes in full detail how Abraham's faith is the same faith that we respond to today, to the gospel. And here in these closing verses of what's perhaps the greatest theological work ever written, we have a very clear reminder that God's plan of grace is good for everyone, for Jew and Gentile, for every nation. 
This good news that Paul labored to detail, to preach, to sacrifice much for was the hope for the entire world. There was no other message that could save. The same is true today and will be true until Jesus returns. Friends, this calls us to remember that we have a significant stewardship in preaching and proclaiming the gospel, but that gospel is good for the nations. It is good for every people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. You know, sometimes people think of Romans, oh, Romans, that's that New Testament, very theological book. And there's a lot of theology in Romans. But Romans is just as much a book on missiology as it is on theology, on, on, on the doctrine of, of salvation. This is a missions manual just as much as it is anything else. At the very beginning of the book, throughout, and here at the end, you see God's plan to redeem all nations. Just think about the letter. Why did Paul write this letter? He wanted to go to Rome in order to base himself as a missionary outpost to go to Spain. And here he's saying, listen, this gospel that I have labored to unpack before you is the gospel God has given us all. It was a mystery, but now through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. As we see the plan of God, the plan is global. This is not just for Southern Maryland. This is not just for the United States. This is not just for... Israel, this is good news for every person on the planet. So we see the plan of God, but we also see the purpose of God. You see that here in the text as well. Here embedded in this closing is an important phrase Paul uses all the way back in chapter 1, verse 5. It's the phrase, the obedience of faith. According to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. In chapter 1, verse 5, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, this is how how Paul introduces his letter. He's Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Verse 5, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. For who? The sake of his name among all nations. This is God's great purpose in the gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith. What does that mean? What's not mean, it's not referring to the act of obedience, which is faith. Rather, it's the actions that stem from faith, namely our obedience. So faith It's created, it exists, it embraces the gospel, and now he's talking about the obedience that flows from that faith. He's saying this is one of the major reasons why the gospel of Jesus Christ exists. God has acted in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to awaken our faith which results in conformity to Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. We see the same pattern here at the end of the letter as we do at the beginning, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. What Paul is saying here is when someone has truly been awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be obvious. Yes, we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ, 
Our standing in Christ is completely His doing. We simply receive by faith. Yet this justification produces obedience. That's why James could say, James was not a contradiction to Paul. That's why James could say, faith without works is dead. James was focusing more on the fruit of faith. Friends, if, if, if your faith in Jesus leaves you unchanged, you don't have saving faith. You might have a good grasp on who Jesus was and is, but if your faith in Christ leaves no fruit in your life, leaves you completely unchanged, it's not saving faith. It's something else. Maybe it's intellectual awareness. The same kind of belief that the demons have. Satan and the demons, I mean, they, they, they believe in Jesus. But they don't have faith in him. Friends, we are saved by faith, but it is a faith that works. It is a faith that bears fruit. What does that look like? Well, you can just read through Romans, the second half. Go back to chapter 12. And just begin reading. This is what the gospel produces in us. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one for evil, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And on and on we go. This is what the gospel does. This is the fruit of faith. So, what a Christian looks like. So, the gospel is clear. The gospel is not a call or summons for you to exercise your own moral virtue in some attempt to please God. Rather, it is a summons for you to put your trust and hope in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, Life happens, and that life begins to bear new fruit, new desires, new affections, new answers to questions, new thoughts, new behavior. People, I know we talk about this often, people confuse the gospel all the time. They think good behavior, eternal life. That's not how the gospel works. Eternal life by faith, good works. It has to be in that order. The, the gospel is a summons for you to put your trust in Jesus, not your trust, not trust in yourself. It's a summons for you to put your trust in Jesus Christ who died in the place of sinners and who was raised again on the third day, defeating death and hell once and for all. And he's now at the right hand of the Father and he's promised to come again to make all things new. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're wondering how can I be right with God, uh, you, maybe you've been seeking to, to find some confidence with, with the Lord based upon some achievement of your own, based upon some moral virtue of your own. Listen, the, the good news is, the bad news is, is that you'll never find it in you. You'll, you'll never do good enough 
You'll never be good enough. The gospel, because there's so many people that think if I live well and do good, God will accept me. And friend, if if that's your thought pattern, if I live good, if I do good and live well, God will accept me. What you've failed to understand is that's that, that living well and doing good is not God's standard. God's standard is be holy. And he gets to define what that looks like. And none of us are. And so if you want confidence before a holy and a righteous God who declares and demands that we be holy as he is holy, then put your faith and trust in the one who is. And the very one who left heaven to come to earth to live the life we all should have, righteous, never sinning, and yet went to a cross, dying in the place of sinners as a substitute, taking upon himself the full judgment and wrath of God so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could be washed clean and clothed in righteousness. Look to Jesus and you will find life. By trusting in Jesus, your life will be changed. Your life will bear fruit. This idea, the obedience of faith. Paul, you see, Paul understood that that God's desire was not just to give the gospel to get people to go to heaven. Praise God, we get to go to heaven. But in the gospel, one of the chief points of the gospel was to come into the lives of people to transform people so that they look like and act like and talk like and live like Jesus. He wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to make you a new creation. That's what the gospel does. It's not a ticket to get you somewhere. It is a transformation that happens. And that only comes through faith in Christ. That is the purpose that we find in the gospel. But then we see Not only the power of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God, we see the praise of God. Paul begins in verse 25, Now to him who is able, strengthen you. And then in verse 27, he says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So now to him, the only wise God. There there is no other God. No other God like this. The only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Here we have the apex of the gospel, the, 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 the overarching point of it all, and that is the glory of God. Now, we talk often about the glory of God, don't we? we? We use that phrase, we talk about the glory of God, everything we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, and all that we do, we do it to the glory of God. What is it? What is the glory of God? See, that's a question that I think we would do well to stop and answer time at, from, from time to time. The truth of the matter is, is that it's difficult to fully define. There are some things better defined when you see it versus than trying to describe what it is in words. And that is kind of where we're going with the glory of God. But we can at least try to get some idea of its meaning here this morning. The glory of God is the manifestation and display of God's infinite perfections, His infinite greatness, His infinite worth. And His glory is tied to all of His attributes. And it reminds us that God is in a class all by Himself. 
And his glory is the manifestation of these attributes. It's the display of his infinite greatness and perfections. And friends, we see glory all throughout the book of Romans. In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, through the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name. This is for Jesus' sake. That is that the glory and honor of Christ would be known and valued among all the nations. In chapter 1, in verses 21 through 23, Paul is, is talking about the problem of sin, and he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And we get to chapter 3, verse 23, where Paul, in a summary statement, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The fact that we lack this glory. The very thing that God desires to display for the sake of His name, for the glory and honor of His name throughout the entire world and everything is the very thing we were willing by our sin to exchange and it's the very thing we lack. In chapter 4, speaking of Abraham, Paul said, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Notice the transition from chapter 3 to chapter 4 regarding this glory, a glory we were willing to exchange, a, a glory we lack now is given through faith. Faith now is required as a portal, as a means through which God now receives glory. Why is that? It's important for us to get this. Faith, th th this is so critical as to why salvation by faith alone, not by works, is vital to the life and health of any Christian in any church. You see, the reason that salvation by faith brings glory to God is because it puts us in a position of weakness and dependence upon God, but it shows God to be strong and independent and yet merciful, therefore glorious. Chapter 5. Paul said, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Jumping to chapter 8, verse 18, Paul said, Therefore I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's a coming glory that we're going to experience Paul is desiring here, he's longing for our salvation. He says in chapter 8, verse 30, ends in glory. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. In the past tense, in verse 30, because it's a, it's, it, Paul is recognizing something that is yet future in past tense as if, it, as if it already exists because of the confidence that he has that it will. Our salvation ends in glory. Chapter 9, you see God's sovereign plan to save is for his glory. In chapter 11, you see another doxology. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. God is the ultimate origin, sustainer, and end of everything. John Piper put it this way. He said, we are never the final reason for anything God is. Oh, friends, we would do well to live that out. We are never the final reason for anything. And yet that's what you're told every day. 
You're not the point. God is. The salvation that you have is not unto you. It is unto him. Chapter 15, we see even in how we live out life together in community, welcome one another. Verse 7 of chapter 15, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Glory is all over this letter. And here at the end, we come to this final verse where Paul says the end result of it all, the, the point, the chief point of it all is that the only wise God in the universe would receive glory through Jesus Christ forever. Friends, that is the reason we exist. That is the reason we were saved. That is the reason God strengthens you and equips you and keeps you firm to the end. Everything exists and serves the greatest being in the universe. And the thing that we have to fight every single day is that desire to take glory for ourselves. To him be glory. And that calls us to answer one simple question. And is that the overarching desire and cry of your heart? Is that what you're after? Is that the cry of your heart, verse 27? Do you view your life, your salvation, everything you do, your relationships, as an ongoing display that points to someone infinitely greater and better than you? Is that your posture? To Him be glory. Forevermore. See, God will not share his glory with another. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reason we need to be strengthened by the gospel is because it reminds us of that. That only God is glorious. Only God is glorious. Who in their right mind, in all of their perfection and beauty and glory, would give what they gave, his only son, to be brutally slaughtered for the redemption of the very ones that rebelled against you. Only God. Only this wise God could do that. And who could plan it this way? Who could plan it out this way? To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the kind of perspective that we need to live by. And then Paul ends his letter with the simple word, amen. It simply means let it be. May it be so. May God confirm and bring to pass all that he said and promised. And that should be our response as well, shouldn't it? Get to the end of Romans, may it be so. May the gospel of Jesus Christ go forth in great power, awakening both Jews and Gentiles to bring about the obedience of faith among every nation to the glory and praise of God. Friends, when you look back at this great letter, may it lead you to verse 27. May it lead you to glory. Not glory in you, but glory in God. 
May you praise God for the gospel that saves us, and may you give praise and glory to God for the gospel that that sustains and strengthens you. Friends, this is our hope, and this is our life together as the people of God. This This is what we are. And only an infinitely wise and glorious God could give this kind of hope. Brothers and sisters, we have a great gospel because we have a great God. Let's give him all the praise and all the glory he is due. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, for the blessing and gift of your grace, for the reality, Lord, of the salvation we enjoy, a salvation that we have not earned, but a salvation that we have received by the power and grace that you have bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that hope. We thank you for that privilege. We thank you for that gift of grace. Father, my prayer is that as a church, that you would strengthen Redeeming Grace Baptist Church by this hope, by this gospel, Lord, that everything we do, everything we say, everything that we're about would be built upon the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, when we're tempted to be distracted from that, would you stop us in our tracks? And would you keep us firm, firmly believing, firmly preaching, firmly proclaiming, firmly advancing this gospel in all that we do? Father, maybe that some are here this morning and they hear this. They hear this good news of grace. And maybe that for the first time their eyes have been opened to the reality of their need of it. My prayer, Lord, that you would use this glorious good news to awaken them to a hope that will satisfy them forever. And that you would draw them to yourself creating within them the capacity to believe in Jesus and that they would firmly grip him in faith and be given life. Father, we thank you for this wonderful Savior that we have in Jesus. We thank you for this great gospel. And we thank you for our great God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.